Hebrews chapter 11. I've been excited all week long thinking about coming and have an opportunity to start a quick series. We're not going to do the whole book of Hebrews, but we are going to look at chapter 11 with seven sermons on the nature of faith and exploring what this thing called faith is, and then looking at a lot of examples of it throughout the Old Testament. The, uh, chapter, chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews is often referred to as the Hall of Fame of the faith, because here what we have is just a collection of stories of the great Old Testament saints and how they demonstrated for us what faith looks like and how we are to live our lives. And as Pastor Bo and I thought about a, a segue series into something else, we just thought that it would be good to take the book of Hebrews and do something like this, because it will give us an opportunity not only to encourage us in our faith itself, but it will also give us an opportunity to stay in the New Testament and at the same time go into the Old Testament too and look back through some of these stories and retell these stories. And so we'll be here for this week and then six more weeks after this, Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. And today we're going to look at the first three verses together, and that will be our time together today. I do hope and pray that you're doing well. I do trust that you're pursuing the Lord during this time. These are continuing to be unusual times. I don't know about you, but I can hardly even remember what it was like sometimes about, you know, giving people a handshake or a high five or a hug or standing next to people in big crowds. Something that seems so normal every day of my life for my entire life now seems so unusual. But I look forward to seeing you again soon. I look forward to us gathering together and we will keep you informed as we make those decisions about how and when we're going to be able to do that. But I look forward to that. We continue to pray for our, our state and our, our government officials as they think through all of those procedures and guidelines. We'll keep you informed as we make those decisions. All right. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. Let's read together and then jump into what the Word of God has to say to us. The Bible says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony, and by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, <clears throat> so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this day we pray that you'd help us for just a few moments to understand what this thing called faith is. And that, Lord, in understanding what it is, we might also simultaneously understand what it is that you've called us to do. And how it is, Father, that you have called us to live. Lord, we want to please you. We want our lives to be spent in ways that bring pleasure to your heart and your mind. We want to live our lives in ways that they make an eternal difference for the unfolding of your kingdom. And God, what we don't want to do is just have fun and enjoy life and be successful and go through the motions and fulfill the American dream and then die. God help us to live in this moment, in these days, for this season, with an eye towards eternity. Father, to that end, I pray, as we've prayed so often, God, in these times and in these moments where we bring the Word of God to your people, that by your Spirit and by your Word, you would accomplish in our hearts and in our minds those things that I can't accomplish. 
by skill, by gifting, by research, by effort. God, by your spirit, might you accomplish much in our heart and in our minds today. Might you come down and meet with us, even through cameras and TVs. Father, would you work in our midst? Would you stir in our hearts? Would you create within our souls, in the depths of our being, God, a thirst and a hunger for righteousness? And help us to live every single day walking by faith. Lord, we love you. We give ourselves to you to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you the question today. What is faith? What exactly does it mean to have faith? I, I think that this is a very popular word in our culture. It's a word that is sort of like, a, it represents what I would call folk Christianity. Let me explain what I mean by folk Christianity. Folk, by that I mean it's the Christianity of the people. It's the Christianity of the masses. And so when you talk to people just broadly that have these very loose and very fluid and very ill-defined concepts of what it means to be a person of faith, this is a popular term, and it will get thrown around a lot. Faith in our culture with amongst folk Christianity, that is the Christianity of the masses, really seems to be nothing more than optimism. So to be a person of faith means you're optimistic. It means that you're a glass half full kind of guy, not a glass half empty kind of guy. It means that you're not pessimistic. Faith in this context and in this culture just means that you, you see the bright side of things all the time and that you're constantly looking for the good and the silver lining in all things. Now look, there might be real virtue in being that kind of person. My goal here today is not to break you of doing that per se, but it is to try to show you that, no, 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 faith is something much more substantive to the Christian faith. Faith for the Christian has much more to do with this relationship right here. And less to do so much with just the disposition about how things are going to work out in life. No, faith has to do with whether or not you trust God or not. Faith has to do with whether or not, because by trusting God, you're living for Him or not. Faith has to do with whether or not the rubber is meeting the road with what it is that we claim we believe. And so what is faith? And then another question I want to try to ask today is, well, what's the benefit of faith? What good does it do for us? What do we get from faith by having it? Well, those are the questions we want to ask today. The author of Hebrews, let me tell you how this fits in just very quickly with what the author of Hebrews is doing here in chapter 11. The author of Hebrews has really been saying two things for 10 whole chapters to his audience. Now, just very quickly, we have no idea who the author of Hebrews is. There's lots of speculation and theory amongst the Bible scholars. The New Testament scholars will debate, and some say it's Paul, and some say it's Apollos, and some say it's all these other types of people. But we actually don't know who the author of Hebrews was. So we refer to them as the author of Hebrews. And amongst other things, what the author of Hebrews is doing throughout the book is he's really showing us two things. Number one, he's showing us that Jesus is better. Better than what? Better than the law, better than the prophets, better than the writings, better than Melchizedek, better than, better than, better than anything else that the Old Testament people would have been inclined to place their confidence in. Jesus is better. And in fact, all of these other things have been building us to this crescendo of who Jesus Christ is. And so it's all been pointing to Jesus. Jesus is better than those things because he's the fulfillment of all those things. That's one major thing that the author of Hebrews has been doing through 
throughout these 10 chapters leading up to this. The second thing that the author of Hebrews is doing, sort of a two sides of the same coin here, he's showing us that the Jewish people largely failed to believe God and trust God and have faith in Him. And then the other side of that coin is, as he speaks to Christians, he's saying, now you don't fail also. You actually believe. You actually place your faith in. You actually do it the way God intended His people to do it. Largely, those are the two things that the author of Hebrews is trying to do in this book. And that brings us to chapter 11. If indeed he's trying to call us to genuine faith where we would trust God and live with God and dwell with Him and obey Him the way the Israelites failed to do, if that's what he wants us to do, it would behoove the author of Hebrews to show us what that looks like. And that's what he does in chapter 11. Well, we begin in verse 1 through 3, where the author of Hebrews really just sets just three quick little verses, but he, he basically shows us the nature of faith, hence my question today, what is faith? And then he shows us two benefits of faith, hence my question today, what good does faith do for us? And so we're going to try to answer those two questions. First of all, he starts off in verse 1 by considering the nature of faith. And so that's what I want you to see here. Heading number one, the nature of faith. In verse number one, the author of Hebrews tells us what faith is. Now note what he says. Faith is optimism. No. Faith is seeing the world glass half full. No, he doesn't do that. Faith rather is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Now, that is a very interesting statement. If I'm honest with you, this is the kind of statement that sounds really good. We'd be prone to like it, and we'd make cards out of it. We'd make bumper stickers out of it. But if we're honest with each other, it's somewhat difficult to understand. What do you mean when you say it's the faith, this immaterial thing, this thing that I have in my heart and in my mind, is the substance of things hoped for. It almost sounds like metaphorical, like he's talking about this immaterial thing being a material thing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. What exactly does that mean? And you see the struggle with getting a sense of what that means when you look at broadly at the different translations that we have of this in the English. For example, in the New King, which I'm reading from today, it's the substance of things hoped for. In the ESV, it's faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In the NIV, it's being sure of what we hope for. In the CSB, it's called the reality of what is hoped for. And in the NASB, we're back to the ESV's notion of the assurance of things hoped for. So what exactly are we supposed to take from this? What does this mean when it says faith is the substance of things hoped for? He's trying to tell us about the nature of faith, but he does it in a way that can be variously translated and understood. Well... Bible scholars would read this verse and research this verse, and ultimately what I think they would say to us is that what the author of Hebrews is trying to convey to us about the nature of faith is this, that faith is the foundation of the Christian walk. It is the foundation of the Christian walk because faith is your trust act of believing God and trusting God and therefore walking with God. And if you don't do that, well you don't have anything. I mean, you have a, maybe a set of beliefs, but you don't really have an, a, an actual foundation upon which to live your life. Now, just very quickly, in the Christian world, the word faith can be used in at least two distinct ways. 
number one, it can be used as a noun. Uh, as, for example, when we say things like, well, according to my faith, or according to the Christian faith, here the word faith is being used as a noun, which is to say it's like a set of beliefs that you and I hold to be true. That's one way we can use the word faith when it comes to Christianity. But there's another way, and it's a verb. Faith in this sense, verbal faith, is the kind of thing, it's an action. It's a trust act. You say this, and I trust you, and I believe you, and I live my life accordingly. Right? Well, ultimately, that's the way the author of Hebrews is using this. It's a confidence that comes from having put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he goes on throughout the rest of the verse to say, it's the evidence of things hoped for, or depending on your translation, it's the conviction. I believe this is true, and I now live my life as a result of it. At the end of the day, what the author of Hebrews wants you to see is that, listen, faith is the foundation of the Christian life because here in it, you are believing God, trusting God, and allowing God to work in your life. And if you don't have that, then really you don't have a lot going on here in terms of faith. So faith is this trust act of believing God, and that becomes the foundation upon everything else that is going to happen in our lives. There's a number of passages of Scripture that talk about this, but let me illustrate it, first of all, with the biblical stories we're told of Jesus and little children. It was very clear when you read the Gospels that Jesus loved the little children, loved the little children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in His sight. Remember this? That's true. Jesus, when we read the Gospels again and again, there's not a place where children are involved that He does not love them and show affection for them. Well, here's the question, why? Why did Jesus love little children so much? Well, number one, they're cute. The Bible doesn't say that, but come on, they're cute. Of course he loved them for that reason, right? That's one of the reasons we love our little children. But there was at least two other virtues in children that Jesus esteemed and held up to us, the adults of the world, and said, listen, you need to be like this. Those two virtues were humility and trust. When little children came to Jesus... They didn't come to Jesus as the Pharisees. They didn't come to Jesus as the tax collectors. They didn't come to Jesus as the centurion. They didn't come to Jesus as someone who has accomplished anything and therefore has something to stand on in the presence of God. No. Little children, when they come before God, they come precisely like that. Like little children, man, I got nothing. And they come humble with a posture of humility. And Jesus, as we've seen throughout the Gospels and as we've seen throughout the Old Testament, God loves humility. Another thing that children, another virtue there is trust. Man, here's the beautiful thing about a little child. You can tell children, hey, it's going to be okay. And because mama or daddy says to their child, it's going to be okay, the child just dispositionally is prone to relax and trust and now live accordingly. That's faith. This is why Jesus would hold the children up before us and say, unless you become like one of these little ones, you cannot enter my kingdom. So what is faith? Look at your child. Watch how your child trusts you and ask yourself this question. Do you trust your father that way? Watch how your child will relax when you calm him or her by assuring them that things are going to work out. And ask yourself this question, do you relax in calmness and trust the Father in the same way? 
Listen, this is faith. You're trusting him and you're walking now and living now in accordance with this. And for this reason, the author of Hebrews would say that's the substance of the stuff you're hoping for. This is the confidence that we have, the assurance of it, the reality of it. What they're saying is, listen, by this, this is our foundation of relating to God. James chapter 1 that we just studied, chapter 1, verse number 5 through 6. I remember preaching these verses to you just a few months ago. But hear it again. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give to all liberally without reproach. It will be given to him. But watch this. Let him ask in faith, not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. In other words, you ask, trust. That's faith. You ask, now trust. That's faith. And in that right there, that posture of letting go and trusting God and now being obedient and living accordingly, that's the foundation of how all this happens. And so we need to understand that's what faith is. Now, the author of Hebrews speaks to us just a little bit in verse 1 about the nature of faith. There's much more about this. But he goes on in verse number 3, verse number 2, and then in verse number 3, he talks to us about the benefit of faith. And let me mention two of these. So the questions I asked you today was, well, number one, what is faith? Uh, What does it look like? What does it mean to have faith? And then number two, why do I need it? What does it do for me? So here, let's talk about the benefit of faith just very quickly. Verse number 2, he says this, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. In other words, the people that have gone before us, the Moses the, the, the Abel, the, the Enoch, the Noah, the Abrahams, the people that he's going to talk about in this very chapter, they obtained a good testimony. In other words, we still talk about them. Their reputation still extends well beyond their life, and they're still models and examples to us. Why? Because they had faith. And through their faith, they're trusting God and living obediently. God was able to work massively through them and unfold His kingdom through these people. By faith, a kingdom was built. By faith, oppression was overthrown. By faith, they did so much. It is only by trusting God that we can see His power unfurled. And so what the author of Hebrews wants to see in verse number 2 is that, listen, by faith we please God. One thing that happens when we have faith and live by faith is we just simply please God Himself. Keep in mind those little children we just talked about. Bring them back up to mind again. Jesus not only holds the little children up to us as an example of what faith looks like so that you and I, the adults of the world that got it all figured out, can learn from them. He shows us the children, yes, because they teach us. The little children teach us. This is what faith looks like. But now I want you to remember the pleasure of Jesus Christ that he had in those little children. The joy that they brought to him because they trusted him. How beautiful is that? I I don't know about y'all. But as I live my life, one day when it's all over, when, it's, when I've taken my last breath, I want it to be the case that my life has pleased the Father. And there is no way to do that aside from faith. Look at verse number 6 for a minute. I'll hit this next week. But look at verse 6 for just a moment. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. I can't sacrifice enough. 
I can't study enough. I can't practice enough. I can't give enough. I cannot do any of those things enough to please Him if it lacks faith, if I don't trust Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So one of the things that happens when we have faith is it, it, we gain divine approval, verse 2, but we also gain salvation. Listen to this, John chapter 1, verse number 12. But to as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the sons and daughters of God, to those who would trust in His name. Listen, it's not just that I please the Father by having faith, but I also gain salvation for my own soul by having faith. I cannot taste of the redemption and the regeneration of Christ and His work in my life until I believe Him, until I trust Him, until I throw myself completely upon Him. Then and only then, in a posture of tremendous dependence, total dependence, and total trust of throwing myself on the Redeemer and His shed blood for me, that I gained salvation. John chapter 5, verse number 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears these words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He shall not come into judgment, is passed from death to life. How? By believing, by trusting, by having faith. Benefit number one, salvation and divine approval. Verse 3, benefit number two, insight and understanding. Now this is really interesting i got to admit, for years and years and years, I struggled to understand what he means in verse number 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen are not made by the things which are visible. What exactly does he mean by this? By faith, we gain understanding. I'm a philosopher. I study all sorts of philosophy. I study one area of philosophy called epistemology, which is the study of knowledge. How do we know things we know? Where does knowledge come from? How does it form and things like that? And normally, knowledge is gained via new information. Faith is a trust act. So how am I gaining new information through a trust act? That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me on the surface of it. Well... I don't think the author of Hebrews is saying here that we necessarily learn new things by faith. Rather, there are things presented to us that we could not otherwise know, like how the earth was formed and things like that, because we could not otherwise know it because I can't see it, touch it, taste it, hear it, or any of those other things. None of us were alive to have seen it happen. So listen, the ability to understand how the earth was formed is something we could not otherwise gain information about. And yet we're given information about it, and I can either trust that or not. And in trusting that, now I'm receiving new information about how the earth was formed. But I think that there's something deeper going on here. It's not just that here we get a testimony about how the earth was formed and I now have access to new information that I can either trust or reject. It's not just that. Listen, I think that what, what the, part of what the author of Hebrews is doing here is he's showing us that via Christ and via the Scriptures and the testimony we receive here, it's not just that we gain new information by the Word of God. We certainly do. But Christ Himself becomes a bit of a key that unlocks everything else for us and enables us to tie things all together. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let me illustrate it this way. Consider the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, here he is in Acts chapter 1 through 8, persecuting the church, vehemently opposed to the Word of God and to Christ Himself, Acts chapter 9, he's knocked off of his horse 
and he's blinded. He receives Christ. And within just a chapter or two, my man is unfolding the mysteries of God in his sermons. How do you do that? Well, you have to understand it's not because he gained new information. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He, was, he already had basically the equivalent of a PhD in the Old Testament. He already knew the Old Testament backwards and forward and very likely had the whole thing memorized. So it's not like he gained a whole bunch of new information at that moment. No, no, no. Listen, here's what he did gain. In that moment, he gained Christ. And Christ gave him the ability, now listen to me, to understand in a way that he could not understand prior to having the Holy Spirit living inside of him, illuminating his mind. Christ became for him the key that now made sense out of all the stuff that he knew. He understood the Old Testament Scriptures. He knew the Old Testament Scriptures. But he could not quite put it all together until he met Christ. And those of us who have tasted Christ, those of us who know Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what it was like that day or that night or that morning, wherever you were, when you placed your faith in Christ, how the world itself became brand new. I remember I was 18 years old. And I remember the day I received Christ, June 16th, 1995, I was a wretch, I was lost, and I was broken. I had made, I'd squandered my life and left myself with nothing. And I'd heard the gospel so many times, but I'd never trusted Christ. I don't know how, I don't know why. I won't go into all the details, but on that day, God gave me eyes to see and ears to hear. And when I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, I knew very clearly that He was the Savior, that He had died for me, that He could redeem me, that He could give me hope. I knew salvation in that day, but listen to me, here's my point. I knew so much more than that. It wasn't just that Christ had made salvation clear to me. He'd made reality clear to me. He'd made my very existence clear to me. Now I understood not just salvation, but now I understood why I exist. I understood why I am here. I understood what I'm to be doing. I understood what this is all about. My mind absolutely exploded on that day, and I knew that I'd spend the rest of my life serving Christ in some capacity. C.S. Lewis said it this way, a famous quote by C.S. Lewis. Let me leave you with this today. C.S. Lewis said this, I believe in God as I believe in the sun. Not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Which is to say, what Lewis is saying there is, listen, his belief in God, yes, there are arguments for God's existence, and you can make those arguments, and at the end of those arguments, you draw the conclusion, there is a God. He's saying, I believe in God not necessarily because I have this argument for God's existence. That, ooh, there He is. No, 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 no. Yeah, you could say, I believe in the Son because, look, there it is. That's one great argument, sure. But here's another argument. If there were no Son, there would only be darkness here and I could see nothing. Because there is a sun, however, I can see everything else. What Lewis is pointing to here, this is actually a very a wonderful apologetic and a beautiful thought. What he's pointing to is the illuminating capacity of Christianity itself to make sense, not just out of salvation, but of everything else in the universe. In other words, by Christianity and through Christian lenses, we can make sense out of not just God and salvation. We can make sense out of everything. Christianity literally can explain everything. 
And so I believe in God as I believe in the Son, not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. What is he saying? He's saying Christ himself is the key that unfolds the ability to see and make sense out of everything else. This is a benefit of faith. By faith, we not only please the Father and gain salvation, but by faith we can gain insight and understanding. You ever seen those glasses? It's called color blocking. You remember in the movie National Treasure? <laughs> I hate to end with a little bit of a cheesy illustration, but it kind of makes the point. You remember there were those lenses that you could put on and you could flip the little dials and with certain lenses up, you could not see, but with certain lenses on, you could now see. Christ is the key in that sense. By faith in Him, now all of a sudden everything makes sense. This is a benefit of faith. I do hope you're optimistic. I do hope that you're a glass half full kind of person. But at the end of the day, understand this. Faith is about you trusting the Father. Trusting the Father to save your soul. And trusting the Father to help you live this life now. Let me just say this to you. If Christ is enough for you in death, the hardest, scariest, worst moment of our existence. If Christ is enough for you then and there, and He is, then isn't He enough for us right now? Isn't He enough for me in this season, in this trial, which is far less severe than the one He's going to be there for me then? Isn't He enough for us now? Faith. It's about you trusting Him to save you, and it is about him, you trusting Him to walk with you and be enough for you. Faith is like what your child does when you calm him or her and they settle. I hope that you have that. I hope that that is nurtured in me and in us and in you. Today we're going to have a time of response. Maybe you haven't lived by faith. Maybe today you've never trusted Christ, as we talked about a little bit earlier. And today's the day for you to do that. Would you respond? Would you reach out to us via the text, via email, the number's on your screen? Would you reach out to us? We'd love to pray with you and talk with you. Maybe you're here today, you're a believer already, but boy, you sure don't live by faith that way. And you just need to ask the Father for forgiveness and ask Him to strengthen you and make you strong in faith. And maybe today all of us need to do that. But whatever it is that God's put on your heart or mind to do, would you do that today? I'm going to ask the band to come back up and lead us in a little bit more worship and song. We'll close out here in just a moment. But for now, would you turn your heart there with your spouse or your children? Would you grab their hands and could we just join our hearts in prayer for just a moment and ask God to do a great work in us of producing this kind of faith in us? Father, bless us, we pray. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you in everything. You have clearly been faithful to us. And so, Father, may we reflect you in being faithful back. Lord, help us to be like our children, humble and trusting. Help us to look to you that way. Help us to take each step in our day that way. Father, in doing that, it is our prayer that we would please you. We love you. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.